Well, good morning. Um, if, we had, um, if we had 10 pianos in here right now and they all played the song at the same time, um, it wouldn't sound good unless they were all tuned to the same note. Uh, even if you had the greatest piano players in the world, it would not be beautiful unless the tuning was right. You have Mozart, you have Beethoven, you have Mariello and Grossinger all up here playing together, right? Um, you could have the best of the best all playing on the best pianos in the world, and yet if it's not tuned properly, it's not going to be a good performance. But if you grab you know, a, a tuning fork, for example, and you get all the pianos in tune, then it might be a wonderful show. In our passage today, in 1 Corinthians, there's something like this going on at Corinth. You have you know, some of the best of the best, the best preachers and pastors and church planters and leaders all here together. And yet, there seems to be something out of tune in the church. Some of the church is saying, hey, we're here behind Paul, or we're behind Apollos, and this church is not unified in tune, and they're putting people in performance above everyone else, and they don't play the same tune and the same note. So Paul comes in, Paul comes in kind of as a, as a tuning fork, and he gets the church all to be together with one voice and correct the division and the many pianos going on in Corinth. He reminds them of what they need to unify around, what tune they should all be playing, and it's the tune of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be in the, just seven verses this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 10. And once you find that, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? <clears throat> I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, open our eyes this morning that we may be able to understand and apply this text in 1 Corinthians. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. Well, from our passage today, verse 10 of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4, we're going to find a unifying theme, a topic um, called unity. Paul is writing to a local church in Corinth with the authority of Jesus saying they should be unified together because right now this church is full of arguing and division and quarreling. And Paul says that one of the marks of a healthy, good, biblical church is unity. Unity. So Paul is going to begin to correct and maybe tune this church to get them back to the right note. And he says be unified right there in verse 10, and then the rest of it is kind of the reason of why Paul is writing for them to be unity. He says he, he heard from 
a friend that there is a report of division and report of strife where people are taking sides. And they're not fighting over even doctrinal issues at this point of the letter. No, it's not like one group is saying, we don't believe in Jesus anymore, because that would be worth a fight in the church, right? If one of of them said, we don't believe in the Bible anymore, that would be worth a fight in the church. But this is not a doctrinal fight. This is a fight over personalities and preachers. Paul's going to argue that taking sides over who their preferred pastor or leader is, is going to cause their church to crumble. Because they're going to fight each other and take their eyes off of what is most important. That's what division, that's what strife, that's what conflict does. It's an attack from within. So Paul writes to attack this. And I want to begin by looking at the main point, and then we'll work our way through this passage. Overall, what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying this. He's saying, church, seek your unity in the cross. For if you seek unity in any other thing, the church will weaken. Seek your unity in the cross. If you seek unity in anything else, your church will weaken. We see the unity part here in verse 10. Paul says in verse 10, the church should all agree and that there be no divisions among you that you be united. United in what? In the same mind and in the same judgment. As a church, we are to have the same mindset in the most important thing. Think of a, you know, a flock of, of, of geese flying in the air, like a flying V formation, right? Flapping their wings together, headed in one direction. Now, if you look at each one of the geese, if you could zoom in, you'd see how they're different. Maybe the size of their wings is different, or they have different color, different spots. But when they're all together working towards the goal, they are unified in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that's what the church is supposed to be, unified. That doesn't mean we agree on every single thing together. No, we, we have differences. Paul's not asking us to be uniform on all things but to be unified in one mind. Now, how does that look for us here at CBC? Well, if you're going to join as a member of our church, we're going to ask you to affirm what we call our doctrinal statement. Now, what's on our doctrinal statement is what we believe is gospel doctrine, our essential Christian doctrine, the things that are essential of the faith, about Jesus, about the Trinity, about the Bible. But you can be here and disagree on other things that are not found on that. Right? We can still joyfully worship and live together even if we disagree, maybe on the timeline of, of end times things. Right? Unity for a church are people rallying together with the same mindset that Jesus is king because we come here to worship saying Jesus is king. We leave this place unified, living for Jesus as king. And now we're going to debate some things. We're going to discuss some things, right? Politics, end times, how do you educate your children, all of these different things. We have preferences and personalities, preferences in ministry programs or music or preaching styles. But in unity, we set aside the less important things to rally around the most important thing, and that is Jesus. So we are here as a church about the cross of Christ. That's in verse 17. The most supreme, the most important thing of our faith is the cross. Without the cross, we have no faith. The cross is God coming to us despite our sin, forgiving us on the cross, and us following him with a new heart. Our church declares, right, that our finding of salvation is in Jesus, and our calling is to live for this Jesus all of our days. And that's what we rally around. 
Now, do good things like baptism matter? Yes. Does your view of speaking in tongues matter? Yes. Even your understanding of who Melchizedek was, it matters. But a church should not be supremely focused on those things. A church should be focused on the cross of Christ, the gospel. Because when a church becomes known as something outside of the gospel, it stops becoming a healthy church. So we're called to unify together around the cross. And if we find our identity, our unity, our agreement in the cross, those other secondary issues won't kill us. They won't. They won't divide us. We can submit to the cross and we can actually disagree with each other well and disagree lovingly. It is possible. We won't have to be divided over something that's not essential. And that's what happens in the cross. If the cross is what defines us, if the cross is what we find our unity in, then our differences do not have to separate us. So whatever a church unifies around, that's what they're going to fight for, right? That's what they'll bleed for. And the scary part of this is if the church rallies around something besides the the gospel and we fight over it, it's going to get ugly, it's going to get sinful. So I think it's important for us to note that what a, what a church unifies around reveals what is most important to that church. Whatever a church unifies around, that's the most important thing to that church. And if it isn't the cross of Christ, we are in danger. We're going to miss the mark. And the church at Corinth here became so divided over personalities of preachers to start with. We're going to see a lot of other issues too. But some of them said, I'm on team Paul, I'm on team Apollos, and they found their identity in who they followed other than Jesus. And that is dangerous. So fighting happens, and pride happens, and division happens. And if Jesus is not the rallying point of a church, then danger is around the corner. What we unify around is the most important thing about us. So from our text today, we have four points about unity to learn, and the first three are things to learn about so that we avoid. And the last one is a point to learn about so that we can imitate. So we'll begin with three negatives and then we'll finish with a positive. Four points about unity. The first is this, that a church that finds its unity and identity in its leaders will lead itself away from Christ. A church that finds its unity and identity in its leaders will lead itself away from Christ. This is the first major concern here in this letter. The church is splitting internally and forming teams based on their preferred leader. Look in verses 11 to 13. Paul writes, For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul received a letter from a friend named Chloe and her people who's from Corinth or knows the people of Corinth. And the letter talked about how the church was splitting up into little groups. In verse 12, he says, some were saying that they are kind of on team Paul. They follow whatever Paul says. They prefer Paul. Others, Apollos. Now, Apollos, you can read about in in the book of Acts, but he's one of the most um, exciting and energetic and eloquent speakers there is in Christianity. A faithful brother, really, really good speaker. So some said, we're with Team Apollos over here. Then there's Cephas, which is the uh, Aramaic name for Peter. So the loudmouth, bold disciple of Jesus. Some says, I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. I'm with Peter. And then Paul throws in there. And some of you say, you follow Christ. 
So this church began to form subgroups who preferred certain teachers or preachers or leaders in their wisdom. And it appears that this church found their identity in whatever leader they preferred. So they kind of began to worship the personality and skill of that leader. So what the group of Apollos did, they followed Apollos to a T. Whatever Paul would do, the group of Paul would follow him to a T. And Paul attacks us and said, none of these leaders are trying for worship. He attacks the notion of, you know, pastor worship or being a, coming a member of a personality cult. He says, is Christ divided? Now, that's um, a biblical, sarcastic quote. Now, we are really good at sarcasm, right? But this is biblical sarcasm, which I think is a little different. He says, as in, do, you, do you think Christ is like a little bit in Team Apollos, a little bit in Paul, a little bit with Peter? He's spread out. He's divided too. Do you think Jesus likes being divided? No. Jesus loves the church being one. Why? Because Jesus, like a marriage, is one flesh with the church, unified. All the church should belong to Jesus, fully not divided. And Paul keeps going with his rhetorical question. He says, by the way, those of you who are like on Team Paul... Hey, by the way, remind me, did I, did I die for your sins? Was I crucified for you? Or hey, when you got baptized, did the guy who baptized you said, I baptized you in the name of Paul? No, he says, no, the only reason you are saved, the only reason you are part of the church is not because of Paul or Apollos or Peter, but it's because of what? It's because of Jesus. So there should be no church that belongs to a man or an individual, but only to Christ because everyone else is mere men. Paul, Apollos, Peter too. Because what if they fail and they will fail? What if they misspeak? What if a pastor dies, right? If our Christian faith is rooted in an individual, a pastor, a minister, whoever, who is not Christ, then that reveals that our faith is actually going to end up weak because it's dependent on someone who cannot bear our burdens, who cannot bear our sin, who cannot usher us into salvation. Only Christ could, and that's why Christ is the one who was crucified, so the church belongs to him. Find your identity and your unity in Jesus. And the danger is similar for us today. We can find our, our salvation, our Christian identity, our growth rooted in a, in a leader, in a pastor, in a podcast, in an organization, in a radio show, right? We quickly begin to think, okay, what should I believe about this in my life? Let me go Google what this pastor says. Or what does this radio broadcaster say? Or let me go listen to this. Instead of us actually going to Jesus first, looking at his word or praying to him or thinking we rely on all these other things and these other things are good. Right? Ministry organizations, radio, podcasts, pastors are good, but they are simply instruments to get us to Christ. Sometimes we elevate them above. If you went to a, um, a Chicago Bulls game in the 90s and you showed up and you realized that Michael Jordan wasn't going to play, you'd, you'd probably feel ripped off. Right? If you went to a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers concert, and you found out that Tom's second cousin Floyd was standing in for Tom, you'd probably feel ripped off. I get all that, but there is no room for that in the church. A pastor, a preacher, a leader doesn't make the church a church. The church belongs to Jesus, and if Jesus is being proclaimed, then that is the key. And this is why, partly why CBBC has a plurality of elders, right? We have eight elders, we have eight pastors who share in the leading 
um, of the church to Jesus. There's not one voice making decisions. There's not just one preacher all the time. We come to CVC to lead people to Christ. We don't want there to be factions or little groups who are with this leader or that leader. We exist to lead to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. So a church like ours, a church like Corinth, any other church should continue to flourish and strengthen and look to Jesus no matter the personality of an elder or no matter a specific leader. The church doesn't stand or fall upon its leaders. It stands or falls upon Jesus. So any church that splits up based on you know, a ministry or a leader or a preacher is a church who's taken its eyes off of Jesus because we don't believe that it's someone's personality or intellect or illustrations or skills that builds the church. Who builds the church? It is Jesus. So we might, you know, maybe prefer a, a personality or a style of preaching or genre of music, but can we set that aside and not take a side? Can we begin by unifying around Jesus and not a personality or a skill? Jesus wants us to be known as a church who belongs to him and not to a leader. That's maybe the first danger for us to be aware of. The second is this. A church that finds its unity and identity in its practices, even good ones, will lead itself away from Christ. Churches have ministries, events, we have programs, we have practices, we have good habits, but sometimes, right, sometimes these good things trump Jesus. We think our ministries and our events are what make us us. Sometimes we think, oh, we have a good church because we have a food pantry, or we have a youth ministry, we have kids ministry, we have Bible studies, and those are all good things. But if those things don't lead us to Jesus and a personal adoration for Jesus, then we are just doing good things to do good things. Sometimes we get so busy even doing church things that we forget who the point of church is. Look at verses 13 to 17 here. Paul asks, you know, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. People in Corinth got so excited by their baptism and specifically who baptized them. They began to divide over that and find their pride and, hey, I got baptized by Apollos. Like I, it became a point of identity. Paul baptized me. Apollos baptized me. Peter baptized me. I should be good to go. Now, I'm all, I'm all for baptism. I think if you're a Christian, you should be baptized. Christ has called you to that. But Corinth took it to a whole nother level where their identity became so focused on baptism that they would walk around saying, I, I am baptized by Apollos and they should get special Christian treatment and maybe the best seat in the church like Dorman has right here in the front row. <laughs> but Paul says twice here that Paul did not baptize them in the name of Paul. Apollos did not baptize in the name of Apollos, any preacher, but baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, Christ didn't call me to baptize, but he called me to preach the gospel. Paul's not saying baptism's unimportant. No, no, no. 
But he's saying gospel should be the most significant thing in the church, even above a good thing like baptism. We are baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus. A church should not find its identity in what it does, even the good things. Do I hope you get baptized? Yes. But we don't champion our baptism like it's our ticket to heaven. Do I hope you get in a small group or get in a Bible study or bring your kids to church? Absolutely, but we are not saved or defined by our ministries. No, we do hope people live holy and obedient lives, yes, but we aren't saved or defined by our behaviors or our habits or our ministries. Corinth began to split over their baptism and who baptized them, and they became known as the church who was baptized by Paul or Apollos, and that means they stopped being known as the church who belongs to Jesus. In verse 17, you know, Paul says, I came to preach the gospel, and that should be the most important thing of the church, and I hope this is our, our goal too. Now, we do pour energy and time and money and volunteers into ministries like small groups and studies and Ruby's Pantry, all these good things, events and programs, but our church does not exist to just put on good things. Things are only worth doing in the church if they lead us to Jesus. What if we do them to pat ourselves on the back or to maybe puff up our spiritual resume thinking that that's going to make us feel better about our salvation, then we are in danger because we never want to be Christians who find their security or their assurance of salvation in what they do. We don't want to think we're a good Christian or a good church because we have all of these Bible studies or these programs or we serve at this. Now, all that's good and I recommend you to serve and to be involved but our church's health, our individual Christian health is directly tied to our personal relationship with Jesus. And we can become so busy doing good things that we actually forget the object of our relationship. Yeah, baptism is good, but it's not where our identity sits in. So for us, the application is not, okay, let's stop serving Let's stop going to Bible study. Let's not get baptized. No, no. Our application is that when we show up to serve, when we go to our Bible study, are we bringing Jesus with us? Are we remembering we are there to help each other see Jesus? When we come and we sing, are we just singing or are we singing thinking, I adore Christ? When we open our Bible, do we realize this is the message of Jesus to us and this is about him? It's not about me checking off I did my Bible reading. This is about Christ and knowing him. Maybe a good reflection is for you today is thinking, how do you know that you are saved? If someone asked you, are you a Christian? How do you know? What would you point to? And if you point to all the things you do at church, I would ask you to reconsider. Or are you pointing back to the finished work of Christ on the cross? Our church should be about Jesus and anything else should lead to Jesus. So Paul warns us here not to be primarily known by the things we do, but known by who we belong to. Let's rally around Jesus, not our programs. The third and last danger here about unity that threatens unity is this, that a church that finds its unity and its identity in keeping up with the culture will lead itself away from Christ. So, so far the, the church has found some identity and what leaders they have, and then even in a good practice like baptism and who baptized them. 
Both of those things are, are, are gifts from God, right? Leaders and baptism and good things. But when something that is secondary becomes primary, issues will follow. But Paul has one more distraction here from, from Satan that churches may be tempted to unify around, and that's churches who try to keep up with culture. Look again at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says his job is to come in and preach the gospel, specifically the, the, the cross of Christ. And he says he is called to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom. To us, that may not mean much, but Paul is writing to a church in the first century in a big city like Corinth. And the primary means of, of entertainment in that city is where they would have amphitheaters and they would have people come in, uh, people of wisdom and philosophers. They would come in and they would speak and teach and have great rhetoric and speaking ability. This is part of the Greek and the, and the Roman culture that we read so much about in school. Speeches and wisdom and philosophical debates. So much going on here. All right, these are the movies <clears throat> excuse me, and the music and the internet of our day. This is the culture. And as we see in the next few passages, the Corinthian church began to expect their church to match the cultural speech of the day. They wanted sermons in the church to be intelligent and full of this strong wisdom and have speeches like they would have out in the arenas. So they began preaching the gospel with a certain cultural standard. They began to rally around whoever had the most eloquent words in the church and next week's sermon is also going to kind of attack that. But they unified around the idea of the church should match the ability of the speakers out in the world. But Paul says he came with the opposite idea. He comes in to preach the cross of Christ, not with words of eloquent wisdom. The church is not in competition with the culture. We have not been called to match the art or the skill of the world. At times, with, with really good intentions, we think we got to be creative enough to reach the culture with the gospel. Now, I'm all for doing things excellently. I am. God has skilled us and God has given us abilities and we are to steward them. We are. But the church's role was not to make the gospel so culturally relevant and package it so it's entertainment and attractive. Paul actually said he preached the gospel without eloquence. Why? Because the gospel message in itself is the power to salvation. Not how eloquently it's spoken, not how intellectual it is, not how funny the illustrations were, not how technologically advanced the church can become. The power of God to salvation is the simple message of salvation. Paul says the cultural speaking skills of trying to match those Greek and Roman philosophers that they read about will actually distract from the message itself. Right? Imagine you buy a new painting. You put up above your mantle in your living room and you throw a party. And you have everyone come over, everyone's eating, and then you guide them over to the mantle and you show them and everyone's you know, mouth opens, it's jaw dropped. Oh, everyone keeps saying, it's so beautiful, we love it. But then you realize what they're finding beautiful is the frame that the painting is in. The frame is so pretty that it actually takes away from the painting, the content, the meat of why you invited them over, right? This is what Paul was saying. The more we try to bring the gospel up to modern day speed, the less we actually bring the gospel 
the means of how we communicate, the mode, should not detract from the gospel. The gospel doesn't need fresh packaging or a software update. The gospel needs to be spoken clearly. Now, yes, we have people in our, in our jobs or in our homes that are dealing with maybe issues that were not dealt with in 1 Corinthians. I get that. I get relevancy there. But the gospel message itself doesn't need to be cleaned up. It applies to all situations. And Corinth got distracted by the bells, the whistles of the culture. But they forgot that they have everything they need to reach the world and the culture, and that's the gospel itself. So what we do on Sundays here at CBC is probably not going to blow you away. It won't. We have the simple message of the cross, and we don't do much to distract from the cross. We come and we gather, we, we sing, we pray, we preach. We're not trying to have the most fun or exciting service. We want to put the gospel of Jesus up on display and keep it there with simplicity. Now, we should do things excellently in our preaching, and our music, do it to the best of our abilities, but our hard work, our abilities are to magnify and zoom in on the cross of Christ and nothing else. And the more we try to grab the attention of people without the substance of Jesus, then we're going to be unifying around something that will always change, right? Culture changes. Our attentions in the world change. A song that is popular one year is not popular the next year, right? Fashion changes, right? You've probably seen over the decades, things go in style, things go out of style, right? One day, mullets are in, and then the next day, they're, they're probably never in, actually. But if we set out to make known Jesus in our church, if we make Jesus the point, guess what? That is timeless. There's a reason why for over 2,000 years of church history, the gospel message has not changed. And the more that we seek to catch up with culture, the less reliant on Jesus we are. If we think we have to sound the coolest or have the best that or get people's attention with this, we're revealing probably that we don't believe the gospel in itself is powerful enough to save that person. So we come simply and narrowly focused on Jesus here. We sing to him, we pray to him, we hear from him, and then we go and we live for him. And that ordinary following of Jesus is where the Lord changes people, where transformations happen. We don't have to have the most eloquent voice. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses. No, we just need Christ. We don't need to rally together and say, we are the church that has the next best thing. No, we are the church that points back 2,000 years ago to the cross at Calvary. So Paul warns us that we shouldn't be a church that tries to find its identity and unity in trying to keep up. So these are, you know, three issues here in just this first paragraph of, of, of the topic of unity. Church rallied around things that were not Jesus. And maybe they were good things, but they were not the best thing. And they gets off track and they lose sight of Jesus. And that's exactly sometimes what Satan wants. Sometimes Satan isn't in the business of trying to make us feel like we lose our faith. Sometimes he just wants to distract us and get us off track for a while. Focus on things that aren't important. So here's some of the dangers, but let's end here lastly with the positive. A church that finds its unity and identity in the message of the cross will lead itself towards Christ. Verse 17, one last time. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, 
lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's have nothing distract from the cross of Christ. If we fall into any of the traps already mentioned, the power of the gospel will weaken. The more divided we are, the less inclined we are to hear from God. The more programmatic centered we become or more culturally influenced we are, the less gospel centered we will be. We need to find our identity, our unity in the cross. That phrase, the cross of Christ, means the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus, who is God, came from the glories of heaven to come onto our earth, to come incarnate in the Virgin Mary, not stained with sin, but perfect. And he lived a perfect, sinless, obedient life, unlike us. And he carried a cross up a hill, the hill of Calvary. He was Uh, pinned and nailed to that. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was slaughtered like a lamb. It's not a pointless death. It was not just to demonstrate something. No, it was to take our place, our atonement. He took our sin. He took the wrath of God. He took all the punishment that you and I deserved eternally on his back, and he died for it, and he took it to the grave. He crucified it on that cross, and then he resurrected three days later, proclaiming to the world that only in Jesus is their salvation. Only in Jesus can death and sin and wrath be conquered. And now he calls us to believe in him, to repent, to turn from our sin and come to him and find eternal life, to find life everlasting. It's all for you if you come under the shadow of the cross. And maybe you're here and you've not come under the cross. Maybe you are new to the idea of church or you've been in church your whole life, but you've realized you've never found salvation. We pray that today is the day that you would joyfully come under the cross with us and rally together in unity, proclaiming how good and graceful Jesus is. If you have questions about that, there'll be some elders up here after the service. They'd love to pray with you and talk to you about it. But this is what we are called to rally around, the gospel, the cross of Christ, salvation, eternity with God, fellowship with God, heavenly joys only found in what Jesus has already done. And this and this alone is what a church should center its entire life and faith on, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. So how do we as a church actually unify around this cross? How do we make sure we don't let distractions, even good distractions, Take us away from the cross. Again, there's probably countless things to say, but I want to mention two big ways. Two ways to unify around the cross together. And the first one is this, that we're going to keep preaching the cross. We keep preaching the cross. Keep preaching the gospel every week. Yes, even at church, we're going to keep preaching the gospel. Because there is no passage in the Bible that's not about the gospel. Uh, In Luke's gospel, Jesus teaches us that every text, even the Old Testament, points to Jesus. So we're going to keep preaching Jesus, not because you need to be resaved every week, like that's even a thing. But we keep going back to the most important thing because we believe in the gospel. Not only are people saved, but people are sanctified and they grow. The gospel is what grows us. So yeah, we're going to touch on topics and other things, but everything for the Christian flows from the gospel. But we often think, hey, I'm a Christian. I went to VBS as a kid. I went to Sunday school. I know the ABCs of the faith. Let's move into deeper territory. 
There is nothing deeper or more life-changing than the gospel. So if you want to grow in your Christian life, feast on the gospel. So we do that here. But also individually, you should be preaching the gospel to yourself. If you are like me, you still sin sometimes. Do you confess your sin to Jesus knowing that in him you are forgiven? Do you ever feel hurt or ignored or feel like you don't matter? Preach the gospel to yourself. You matter so much that Jesus died for you and God demonstrates his love towards you that he sent Jesus. Your whole life, your whole being can find answers in the gospel. When you are hurting or in despair, guess what? Jesus knows pain. He knows hurt. He knows despair. Turn to him and let your thoughts come to him. The more you are focusing on the most important thing, the more that that will influence us as the church because we all need reminders of the gospel. The more you focus on the gospel, the more I will. When I'm hurt, when I'm in despair, and you bring the gospel to me, it's like bringing medicine to me. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. Let's keep preaching the gospel and let that settle deep into our souls. It's the foundation for a reason, and everything grows up from the foundation. But the, the, second, the other way I want to mention, the second way that we unify around the cross as a church is that we bring the cross into our church relationships. I'll explain that in a second, but bring the cross into your church relationships. As you relate to other people here, don't forget the cross. What I mean is no matter how different you feel like that person is or how difficult you feel like that person is, guess what? They stand under the same cross that you do. So we're not here to fight or to argue or to compare. We're here to rally around the cross. We prefer different things in life, and yet because of the cross, we can actually prefer one another. We may disagree on secondary matters, but we stand as brothers and sisters under the essential thing, the, gro- the, the cross. Um, there's a story I, I, I read recently about um, Charles Spurgeon in England, and he was always very critical of what he called high church, which for us would be like those very strict um, formal churches in England, right? So back in the day, a couple hundred years ago, England was full of high church. You walked in, you were silent, you had to wear a certain dress code. Things were very much organized and structured in a certain way. Spurgeon did not like those churches. But there was a famous poet named George Herbert, beautiful, beautiful poetry about Jesus. I encourage you to look it up, George Herbert. But the problem with George Herbert in the eyes of Spurgeon was that he went to a high church, strict church, a formal church. But Spurgeon said this about him. He said, now I hate high church as my soul hates Satan. That's a hot take, by the way. (laughs) But I love George Herbert. Although George Herbert is a desperately high churchman, I hate his high churchism, but I love George Herbert for my very soul. And I have a warm corner in my heart for every man who is like him. Let me find a man who loves my Lord Jesus Christ as George Herbert did, and I do not ask myself whether I shall love him or not. There is no room for question, for I cannot help myself. Unless I can leave off loving Jesus Christ, I cannot cease loving those who love him. The cross trumps all preferences in the church. It should free us up to love those, even those who we disagree with. So this means under the cross, people in our church are not problems to us. They're not weaknesses in our church or our life. 
No one is. We are all blood-bought citizens of God's kingdom, and it's because of the one cross, and we stand unified under that. So in your conversations with fellow church members, in reading of emails on your CVBC prayer email, in your scanning of eyes with the congregation on a Sunday, think of the cross that brings us together. If we do that, we're not going to weak, we're not going to weaken or crumble under division. We won't let strife in because under the cross, we can actually love each other well and thrive well as a church. In a few weeks, we'll come to this famous passage, but I want to read it here as we finish. Paul writes, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I pray this be true of us at CBBC that we rally under the cross of Christ and that is what unites us together. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you that you would send your son to that cross, that bloody cross to save us despite our sin, despite all the things that we deserve and don't deserve, yet you in your grace and your mercy gave us Jesus and now we can proclaim and find salvation and have an eternal home. And we get to do that together. And I pray that this cross is what unites CVBC together. In our personal relationships, in our corporate body, let it be the cross that we fall down before together. And if there's someone here who has not come under the cross today, we pray this will be the day of their salvation. You will save them, that we can rally around your son together. But Jesus, we come to sing one more song to you this morning together. Let us mean it in our hearts. Let us praise you for that cross. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.